welcome to Save Six Figures with Gina Knox, the podcast where I coach you on how to save $100,000 by optimizing your cash flow. Hello, savers, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us today. We're going to be talking about home ownership and buying houses and all the stuff that goes with that. So please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Hi, Gina. I'm happy to be here today. Um, I'm Alisa, and I am a 26-year-old woman living in San Francisco. I work at Adobe as an experienced designer, and I actually met Gina studying interaction design at a design school like five or six years ago. My God, that's right. So Elisa was a one-on-one client and actually one of my very few non-entrepreneur clients, um, which is kind of fun. But yeah, we met at design school and started working together in 2020. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, during COVID. Yeah, I'm like, what is time anymore? (laughs) working together on your finances, on saving, investing, all that stuff. Um, And you ended up buying a home out of that process. So first, just really open-ended question. How is home ownership going? Tell us about that. I love it. And there's something different about being in your own place and not having to worry about moving, about... um, checking in with a landlord if I want to do something it just feels like my home and there's something like intimate about that and it just brings me this sense of like comfort and confidence because uh I have my own place and I can travel and I know that it'll always be there I recently was doing a sabbatical for six weeks and I subletted my place to a friend. I could have just not done that, but I was able to do that and I and found found a friend to take it over for a little bit. And that was great. So I don't have to worry about uh, you know, anyone else involved in living at my place. And it's just me. And so that's been very calming to have that as one less thing to worry about in life. And I can always have this place to return to. And the nice thing about it is. I'm not just throwing my money away every month to someone else. I'm paying myself back. And that's the idea that really sold me on owning my own place. I figured if I can afford it just barely, and if I continue to can continue to afford it and pay it off, it'll just be a, a better choice because I'll have this as an asset that's growing and I will be able to just pay it off by paying myself pretty much. So that was a big thing. And I think that brings me a lot of comfort when I'm like, oh, I'm kind of spending a good amount of my, you know, monthly income on my mortgage and my HOA. But I'm always like, this was the right choice. And it feels like the right choice for me. So you bought your place when you were 25. You're yep, single woman. Right around my 25th birthday. Yeah. I single was 24 woman. when I was into it. That's right. San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the country. So talk to me a little bit about the financial readiness process that you went through to get everything ready to buy a place. Yeah. And I actually surprised myself because the process of buying the place was pretty quick. And when you and I were working together, I the mindset that I was in was, okay, I've been working for like two and a half years now. 
I got stock from Adobe and I've got this chunk of like 150K. I could just keep it in my savings. I could start investing in it, which is I, which is something that I wanted to do, but I didn't know how. And uh, I, and I could buy a place, but the latter option didn't even really seem feasible for me. I'm like, I just got out of college. I just started working, like buying a home. I don't know about that. And so after I started working with you, Gina, we talked a lot about like, what do I want to do like financially and how do I feel confident and what does that look like for me? And how does that play into every other aspect of my life and living in a, and in a place is like one huge aspect of your life. And so I slowly started to realize kind of towards the end of our coaching that this could be a possibility. And through our conversations, I became more confident in that. And I will say that my parents their form of investing has never been like in the stock market. It's always been in real estate. And so my, both of my parents, when they were in their twenties, they were like, this is the way to do it. This is something that's uh, stable. And, you know, you'll, you'll usually have a fine time with it after however many years and it'll come back to you. So they had this mindset around it. So when they were in their twenties, they each bought something and they saved up a lot for it. So I kind of had that background and encouragement from them. And so the financial readiness aspect I, I was like, okay, do I even know if I can afford it? I can afford a down payment, but what about like after that? And do I, and it's a big choice to say, okay, all of this money that I have that I could use to like do whatever I want, or I could stop working or change careers or take time off. Do I want to just act like I've never seen it and put it into a house? And so that was, there was a lot of like internal soul searching that I had to do with is this something that I want? Is it something that I just feel like I should be doing? And I was like, let me be smart right now and and look ahead to the future and uh, do something that my future self will thank me for because I don't think I I know what I want to do with that money right now. I don't think I would spend it responsibly. I don't want it to just sit there. So how can I help myself in the future and do something smart right now? And that's when um, I started talking to you about that. We looked at all of my financials. We did this budget where I was like, how much can I spend every month and how much can I afford? And luckily at the time, interest rates were really low. People were leaving San Francisco. And this is something that you mentioned as well. You were like, you can, you can barely like afford to do this, but you can do this and we can work together to see how much this makes sense for you in terms of how much you're willing to spend every month where you're not suffering, where it doesn't feel stressful. And it feels like something that you can just continue with your lifestyle. And so it took us maybe a couple of sessions, I think, where we were looking deeply into that. And once I had the accurate data and the numbers, that's when I was like, okay, actually this, this can work. And I needed that to feel good about it because it was concrete and I could rely on that data. Yeah. It's so funny because you said at the beginning that, you know, you were just two years out of college. Like, I don't know if I can feasibly have a house. And it's funny because we can get so caught up in those narratives without doing the math first, right? Yeah. We just have this thought like, oh, I can't buy a house. Like I can't buy a house as a single woman or in a really expensive city or whatever. But then have you actually investigated that? And like sat down and just looked at the numbers and found, well, how much would it cost every month? How much would I have to put as like all it's just the facts, right? And then once you have the facts, then you can make a decision either way. Um, but it's amazing how freeing sitting down and getting those numbers can be. And I think there's a lot of mystery around the process and it's intimidating. And 
I, I felt so, I, first of all, I felt like I couldn't do this without having had coaching with you because I didn't have anyone that was where it was dedicated time. They were knowledgeable. We had insight into my financials. Like we had this holistic picture of everything and everything that I wanted that we took into consideration. And so I, it felt like a black hole. And I was like, Gina, I want to do this, but I know nothing about it. And let's like take the time to look into everything. And once you actually have everything laid out in front of you and you look, you know what the process is going to be like coming up, it suddenly feels like I can do this. Once you know that it'll be fine um, because you have a clear picture. I think that's the biggest hurdle for people is this idea and like the narrative, like you said, of I don't think I can do that because I've heard it's hard and I heard there's all of these things and we can get caught up in what other people say. But if we actually sit down and look at like what's in front of us, then we can see, no, like my dreams and goals can be achieved. And I think you're so good at helping people realize that. Oh, good crack. <laughs> I want to go back to something else that you said about, you know, you had like the 150 grand and it's a big lump sum. I think a lot yeah. of my clients, um, can empathize with that because in six figure saver, we're helping our clients save a hundred thousand dollars. A lot of my clients have just a lump sum of cash. And, and then to your point to decide to buy a place and then to like that moment when the wire transfer goes through and all of a sudden six figures, leave your bank account in one transaction. How do you prepare emotionally for that? And like, how do you, again, coming back to this idea of creating psychological safety around moving such a large lump sum of money into a house? Yes, this was a, a big thing for me and also the aftermath of that as well. Um, which I want to talk about, I quickly want to go back to like your first point of there's this, you have this lump sum, and then there's this pressure that you feel to do something with it. And I would say like, internally, like, listen to that, where it's like, I, you want to do something smart, it's a big deal, you don't want to just mess it up and, and not take care of, of this, because it could impact you greatly, because it's so much money. And it's, you have to be smart about um, what you do with it, which is, I think, where the pressure comes from, and then that psychological impact. And so I uh, I had to tell myself, it's sitting there, yes, but let's pretend, let's continue living my life like I don't have that lump sum, like I'm not going to just go and, and spend all this money on some luxury item or take this ridiculous trip I'm just gonna live normally like I have been and pretend it's not really accessible because I'm going to use that for something like really important and that's what that's for it's and so I had to be a little bit strict with myself about that some people may say like okay you know what let me take like 40k of that and do something like amazing that I'll never forget at this time in my life which is amazing if if that's something that you want to do but for me I was like I don't have anything that comes to mind I know that I want to make a smart choice with this so I'm going to uh, take that approach of this is for that special thing. And I'm going to, once I felt confident about that, it was a lot easier to reconcile that within myself and not feel too anxious about it. It felt really exciting. I think because you and I together on a call had to transfer a lot of my um, stocks and, and sell all of it to get that lump sum because it was in different accounts and things like that. And I sat on a call with you and we did like a 50K like sell order of something. And I was like, oh my, no, okay, let's just do it. Wow, all right, now it's in my account. And then you see it in your account and you're like, 
that that's that's mine wow I can do something with it but I'm not and I'm gonna I'm gonna just save it there and so it's funny (laughs) it's funny because it really like it's kind of a mind fuck in the sense that it's just this number on a screen that doesn't mean anything and then you like put it into your checking account and you're like holy shit like this is a big that like you feel like have you ever been walking down the street with like too much cash in your purse or in your wallet and you're yeah. just like you feel just a little bit on edge that's what that can like feel like today's the day I'll get robbed yeah <laughs> right and you're like is it okay for me to have this much cash in my bank account like whoa what is going on yeah. it's such it a funny moment I know and I had to treat that moment the same as it was just broken up on like my e-trade and there's nothing different about it now. Now it's just more accessible, but I cannot let myself go down that path of this is more accessible now. So I, I was like, for me, that strategy works. And I think to your point too, like there's a, before deciding to buy the house, there's a really big element of soul searching around what you want to do with that money to begin with. And to your point, like, well, you could have taken 40 K and done an incredible trip and that would have been amazing, but that's not what you wanted. And that's okay. If you're listening to this and like, that's what I want to do. I'm like, go by all means, go do what you want to do with your money. But if you do want to buy a house or a condo or whatever, this is the process. This is what's going to happen. And you should anticipate that there's a bit of like money anxiety. There's some emotions that come when we move such large amounts of money. There's a lot of self-questioning as well. Is this Mm. this the right choice? Is this too risky? Can I do this? Is this what I want? And I, when I was doing that soul searching, it was, uh, that that question was going back and forth in my mind a lot um, because the limiting thing that kept coming up for me was, is this a smart choice? Is this something I should do? And I was looking to other people being like, can you tell me what to do? But they're, they're a little uncomfortable. I don't want to tell you what you can do with your money. Here's why it's great to buy a house. And maybe this would be a good choice for you. And then I started to visualize as I was doing the soul searching, what does it feel like to have that place and to be this person that owns a home and that's mine and I can do whatever I want with it and that felt empowering and exciting and I knew that it was the right choice because I still had this kind of imposter syndrome about the choice that I was making even though I knew I wanted it I didn't want to mess up and so I'm pretty risk averse and I I want other people to help me feel confident in my choices but at that moment when I was like no this is this is I can do this and this is exciting to me and this will bring me a lot of joy and, and I I want to live my life like this. That is when I knew. And I talked I talked to some friends where they were like, I could never like buy a place. How do you know you want to live in that city forever? And I would use that money to go travel for like a year. And I was like, that's so great for you. I do not have that desire right now. And I can always rent it out and I can always sell it. It's not a permanent decision. That is such an important point. Um, there is this like I think that we get it from our parents, like you buy a house and it's your forever home and you live there forever, but you guys, it's just an asset. Like then you can turn Mm -hmm. around and sell it if you want. Now there are logistics, right? Like you want to make sure that you can get all your money out of it. So you want to be able to sell it for at least what you bought it for, if not more ideally, but yeah, like you're not stuck. No one is for, it's not like a lease where you're stuck in the lease for 12 months. And if you leave early, there's a penalty. There's no one it's just a house. It's like when you buy a car, that doesn't have to be your forever car. You could sell it the next day if you wanted to. Um, you help there's... me with that a lot. Yeah. Say more because about that. I, I uh, 
I was like, if if this is a mistake, like what happens? What if this is like a bad thing? And you were like, you can always sell it. You can always rent it. There is a way out with this. And I think we are stuck in this mindset or assumption that it's, yes, there's a lot to go into the process and, you know, there's paperwork and there's filing and it takes some time, but there's always a way out if you need to. And if you choose to, and if you feel that way, it's just going to take more time that where you have to do that. And if uh, you've considered the financial impact of selling it right away, and if it's like the market is down, then maybe wait if you can. But I think that you think about those things beforehand. And if you feel good about it, and if you think, okay, maybe I'll sell it in a year, hopefully the market's up and it's fine. And so let's not let that, uh, those fearful moments and concerns get in the way because you think that you can't do it because you're stuck. Like you're I mean, not stuck. I have, It'll a, be fine. I have a personal story about that. My husband and I bought our first condo together in August, 2020. You guys is the most beautiful condo in the world. I still oh, I think about it. It was like yeah. a gorgeous artist loft converted. It was literally stunning. My dream loft, two bedroom, two bathroom. We're moving into it in like the middle of lockdown. Perfect, right? We go into escrow, which means that like our money has now been moved out of our account. It's in the title company's account. We're waiting to finalize the deal. I find out I'm pregnant like that week. <laughs> and we're like, okay, that's not what we planned. We weren't not planning on having a kid, but we also weren't planning on it. So it was like this moment of, okay, we just bought this condo. It is not a baby proof condo y'all. Like it had this freight elevator in it that was the size of an SUV <laughs> with like one of these cranks that would move it up. It was so, the whole condo was so dangerous. And it was like um, anti-baby. It was yes. anti-baby, like concrete floors, just brick everywhere. It was not a baby place. So we decided to live there. I was pregnant. I gave birth in April and then we had the baby there for about six months and we just decided we can't stay here with her. Like she's starting to crawl. There's really dangerous staircases in this house. Like it's a hot mess. We, it wasn't a hot mess. It was a beautiful, beautiful apartment, but with the baby it was a hot mess. We didn't have a laundry room, so we didn't have anywhere to put our laundry detergent. So that was just like on the floor. I'm like, the baby's going to mm -hmm. get into that. So we decided to sell and we moved a year later. We sold our house like maybe... 14 months after we bought it and we took a loss on it. We lost money, you guys, and it's okay. And we moved mm -hmm. on. And especially I think like for my entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, in that scenario, it was better for us to decide to move and just move and sell the place for as much as we could get and then just go make up the money. Like even if you take a loss, it's not like the end of the world. You can still make the money back. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's funny, this idea of permanence, like we get this idea stuck in our head of permanence when it comes to buying a house. And even that doesn't have to be true. Yeah. I think that comes with, uh, a job as well. And anything that's just big in your life that takes some time to make a decision on and, and you can keep continue down the path that you've started on for a while, but it doesn't have to be like that. And we, we tell ourselves this in our minds. And so it's good to be conscious of the story you're telling. 
Yeah. And at the same time, to go back to what you were saying earlier, I think the best thing you can do is do the soul searching before to decide to buy a house. Cause I could list you 10 reasons why renting is the best decision for you. And I could list you 10 reasons why owning a house is the best decision. It either way you can make it work. So at the end of the day, is it, it's just, what do you want in your life? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit, you've touched on it a bit, but when we were working together and you're toying with the idea of buying a house, can you tell me a bit about what you thought the process would be like before you had ever gone through it versus what the process was actually like after having gone through it, it through it, mm-hmm. <laughs> after having <laughs> gone through it in hindsight? I was, like I said, it's this big black hole. I have no idea what it's, what all the pieces in entail and how to navigate this. And I don't know how to do this process. I felt like I had to be the one with the knowledge and the one to do everything and the one to figure it out. And that was not the case because each part of the process, there are different people involved and they kind of connect you to the next part of the process or they're involved the entire um, way. And so can you share who those people are for our listeners who are curious? Yeah. So let me see if I remember. Um, First, we had a real estate agent that was a family friend who uh, we worked with to find a few places uh, to to take a look at. I actually found my place that I bought on Zillow and it was posted one day before I went to see it. And we called the agent and um, we came to see it. And then I was like, this is the place. And I'd seen a handful of places before that I was looking a lot but it wasn't actually a very long process for me. Some people, it takes six months, a year. It only took me like a month and a half of looking. I found this one and I said, I want to go for it. And they let the, my real estate agent, let the agent for the property owner know we, they handled a lot of the paperwork. They told me what I needed to provide, which was just like information on my bank statements. And I had to get approval. And that part was on my, Uh, my end to go find a lender. And so I was calling different places and uh, I found one that I liked. And that was pretty simple. You just had to upload some documents. You just had to provide, you know, that information. And they handled so much on the back end. Uh, And I kept telling everyone, hey, this is my first time doing this. I don't know anything about what this means and who you are and why I have to talk to you. Just let me know what I need to do. And they're like, oh, we get it. It's fine. It's confusing. And everyone is very encouraging, understanding, and like helpful. And so I felt that it was a lot easier than I expected because of that. Like this whole system is set up for you. You just have to provide some information and show that you can afford it and they will make it happen because like they all want to make money from this. This is their job. So they're going to make it as easy as possible. And after um, getting approved, the I think that's when the title company came in and all of that paperwork was handled. I I just had to sign a lot of stuff and read through things. And um, I did that with the help of my parents and like the agent. And so it wasn't even that much that I had to do. And after a couple of weeks, like it went through, everything was approved and I closed in two weeks. And then from looking at the place, maybe three weeks, you know, to, to buying it and and owning it, that was the process. And so when I finally made the decision, it was like a month and a half of looking, then three weeks 
of the sale process. And then, you know, within two months I have a place and that's just really crazy to think about. So that's like nine week total process. Yeah. Six weeks looking at different houses, finding the one you like, deciding to make an offer, submitting your paperwork, getting approved to keys three weeks later. Yeah. And then I think I moved in maybe like two weeks after I had some furniture from my last place. And so in a span of nine, 10 weeks, you're in one place in your life and you have this idea to, okay, my life is completely different. I'm a homeowner. (laughs) (laughs) I think that my listeners are going to find that fascinating because I think another misconception is the length of time it takes. I've spoken with other clients who are considering buying a home. And I'm like, if you want to, you could be in a house in three months. And they look at me like, are you joking? Like they envision like an 18 month process. And I'm like, the longest part of the process is really looking and finding a house. Yeah. Yeah. But once you decide to buy, it can go so fast. And like you said, everyone along the way, the real estate agents, the brokers, the title company, everyone wants to speed up the process and help you because Mm -hmm. they want their paycheck too. (laughs) They're like, all right, let's get this done. Why make this longer and more confusing than it needs to be? We do this every day. Let's get it going. (laughs) I think too, I I should put a disclaimer. The Bay Area real estate market is notoriously fast. Um, There are other places in the country where the title company and the lenders take like 45 days to close. So that's going to vary based on your market, but, but still you can be into a house quite quickly. Also with the Bay area, I I had, I I had this knowledge. I'm like, okay, if you really want something, you got to tell them, you got to go for it. Don't just sit and wait. Um, I even, I was like, let me go 10K over asking just to guarantee that I can get it. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I was in early and they were like, okay, that's going to definitely make us choose you. And so I did everything I could to snatch it quickly because I felt pretty good about it. And I know that if you like something, you kind of have to go for it here. Yeah, that's the supply and demand of it all, right? Like, in my mastermind, I'll be talking about negotiation and like that whole process, but that's also really localized to your market. The Bay mm-hmm. area is notorious. Like things go off market before they even get on the market. <laughs> like You don't see houses sitting around for days or weeks. And yeah, mm-hmm. you really have to know what you want and make a decision. And sometimes that means knowing that a place is not for you and deciding to walk away, right? It's yeah. not... It's also equally important not to get caught up in the FOMO and like make an offer on a house that you don't actually love just because you feel like you need to get into something. All right. So a couple final questions. What advice would you have to the 25-year-old version of you before you bought this place now that you've been in this house for two years? Uh, when I was looking, I had kind of a set of requirements for myself for the place. What do I need to have? What is nice to have? And what is important to pay attention to? Um, and if it doesn't have it, that's okay. So I, I had that and I feel like that helped me so much to make my decision. And then there were, I would say, I did a few things well, so I want to highlight what I did well, um, for other people. And that was having like 
my mom, who's a little bit more skeptical than me, because I'm very like, oh, I'm so excited. This place is great. Like trying to look at all the positives, right? It's a really exciting experience to envision yourself somewhere. But she helps keep me grounded in does like the things that I wasn't thinking about. My place is like top floor. Um, and she was like, this is great because no one's going to be above you. You have like a nice long view out into the street where um, the other place was looking into like the parking lot and then the other place was looking into another house. And so there's these tiny little things that will make a difference when you live in a place. And if you're buying to rent out, I don't think you need to think about that as much, but for you, like notice what makes you happy and is there enough light and what about the neighborhood and all of these things are really important because um, if you're, if you're not considering that, then you might be like, I don't know unsatisfied later because you realized something was important to you and it wasn't. I'll say something that I uh, didn't think about, which was noise and garbage trucks and things where you don't notice when you go look at a place. And so this place, (laughs) garbage is collected every three days uh, or two days at four in the morning. So I had to start sleeping with earplugs. And how am I supposed to know that if I go see a place, you know, you don't know their garbage schedule. And now I'm like, okay, if I find another place to live and I need to ask about that. I always thought that it would make sense for sellers to let you spend the night before you buy the house. I'm like, I want to spend the night and see what it actually feels like. I think that's because you would never know until you move into a place. Oh yeah. And my place is very warm. I never have to use the heater, heater, but it's a little too hot for me to sleep. in. so now I have to sleep with the window open. So there are little things like that, that I would tell myself. Um, and any other advice is just be confident in like the decision that you're making and be confident when you're talking to the other people and don't, um, don't, I, I sometimes felt like a burden asking a lot of questions and, uh, don't, don't worry about that. It's their job to help you to feel comfortable about your choice as well. And I would say, don't feel pressured, um, with their, like their timelines and their negotiation strategies, and just try to remain like in yourself as much as possible with what feels right for you. Um, because there's so many different people and there's moving pieces and there's these pressures that you feel. So just remain confident in like the choices that you're making and be really clear with yourself about those choices. That's such good advice. I think there is this, you know, sales relationship with your real estate agent because they get paid on commission when you close the deal. So there can be this pressure that exists or a power dynamic, even if it's not obvious. Um, But remembering at the end of the day, you're going to be stuck with that house. You're that's, they're going to leave. They're going to go back to their jobs and you're going to be there in your house or your condo or whatever. So always coming back to at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. So I got to like my, my agent, every time we went somewhere, he was super positive about it. There were things I didn't like, and I would mention it to him and he was like, yeah, but like, you know, that's normal or that's this, or don't think it's not a big deal. And then I was like, okay, he like definitely just wants me to pick any place. And I don't think he cares as much about how I feel. Um, so I have to be the advocate for myself here. Absolutely. You definitely have to stand up for yourself. It sounds like your mom also was a good advocate for things you weren't necessarily thinking about too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that bothers me, so we live in a rental right now, we're in the market to buy that I didn't think about when we walked through this house is the floors in this place are so creaky. And I didn't think Mm -hmm. to listen when I was walking through. It's like funny things that you don't realize, but 
If there, I guess my advice for, for listeners, if there's anything that you don't like about the house you're currently living, like start leaving a running list of like little things to notice as you're walking through houses, because it can be, it can be so easy to just be like, oh my God, the ceilings are so tall. The light is so beautiful. It can be easy to get caught up in how exciting it is. Totally. And then there are, are things that are maybe there's just logistical things that are really easy. Like my place offers guest parking and that's huge because so many other people will uh, be more into coming to my place. So I don't have to go to their place. There's just small things like that where I'm like the location has uh, like three different entrances and depending on where you're coming from, like that's great. And so things that I didn't think about for next time. So if you have stuff that you like about your place right now, uh, note that down too. Yeah. And at a certain point, you're just going to have to like learn through living, right? Mm -hmm. The different houses you've lived in, the different apartments, whatever. But um, just starting to notice those little things as you go into the housing market is really important. I'm curious about what you think, Gina, um, about if someone has bought a place, they live there for, I don't know, three years or they're moving cities or jobs and they are trying to decide between renting it out or selling it. And I I think about that sometimes because I'm curious about living in another city. I've only lived in San Francisco, but I love having my place and I don't, I don't want to sell it. And so, um, but maybe I think there's, there's your answer. So also, yeah. So maybe that, that is the answer. I'll just keep it forever. I mean, <laughs> for as I, long think, as I, want to. I think that a lot of people will a- approach this question from like a financial and house hacking perspective. Yeah. And I think that could be a lot like, okay. <laughs> it gets a lot when you try to really finesse a a rental if that's not what you want to do. So here's what I would say to someone in that position. One, are you willing to take on an, the administrative burden of turning your house into a rental? Because mm-hmm. legally, it'll probably make most sense for you to open an LLC for that house. So it becomes a business. And I don't care However many TikTok gurus say that real estate is passive income, it is not passive income. It requires work. You have to find the tenants and you have to collect payments. You have to communicate with them. You have to deal with it if they don't pay. And even if you have- happen, Right, if something happens, if something breaks, you have to call the plumber to go. All of that stuff is administrative burden. So that's the first thing. Are you willing to take on administrative burden? Now- even if you hire out like a, a what's it called? A management, management company, company. Yeah. you still have to manage the management company. You have to find them. You have to meet with them. So there are ways to lessen the burden, but are you willing to take on the administrative project? If no, just sell it. If yes, go for it by all means, mm-hmm. but be prepared. What I mean by be prepared is Make sure you understand the tenant's laws in your city and in your state. Then make sure that you have a financial safety plan. So let's say you rent out your place and tenants stop paying and you cannot evict them for six months. Can you cover your mortgage? Hmm. Like really think through worst case scenario. Um, And and then, you know, sometimes there's people who are like, I'm going to rent it out to my cousin and I totally trust them and it's fine. I'm like, great. So it's super personalized. At the end of the day, though, ask yourself, would I be super sad to sell this place? 
Do I want to take on the administrative burden of renting it? And then is there another option, right? Like, is there a third option that you're missing? You could get creative with it, right? Um, like finding a cousin who wants to live there or whatever, maybe finding a tenant that you feel more safe with. Um, and then I really do think that like, like you were saying, you really love your place. You love San Francisco. Maybe you would want to check some place out, but you really like your house. I think that mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it has to come from your desire. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing. One more thing. This may get some flack. I may get some flack for this, but double check your desire too. Let's say you're like, I really don't want to sell my house. Why? Why? Ask why. Is it because you think you can't afford to come back if you wanted to? Is that actually true? Or is that just a fear? Again, coming back to like the beginning of our conversation, if you haven't done the math, have you done the math? Like, why do you not want to let go of your house? And the answer to that question will also guide you. If your answer is just, no, I love this place. It's unique and I'll never find any other place like it. I'm like, by all means, keep it. But if it's a financial fear, well, is there another way around that, right? Start really questioning yourself and spending the time to do the math and then make a plan. Mm -hmm. Is that satisfactory? Great answer. <laughs> Are you thinking about um, maybe moving? I I'm not. I'm just like, what if I wanted to? What if something came up? What if I felt like it? What What would my plan for this place be? And I lean towards keeping it and renting it out just because, and I haven't thought about all of those things, but just because I'm like, well, the long-term gains might be good. Financially, it might be good. Also, the story that I've heard, I do think it's just this Thing in my mind it's a story I'm telling myself of that's a good choice like long-term ownership of a place and then having an asset and then I'm like but does that make sense for my life and what I want that is where I need to actually be honest with myself and then another thing with that kind of thing is like is that really true yeah I don't know is that really true and maybe it is true and is there another way that I could have financial gain yeah yeah right I'm like if it's just about the finances <laughs> I would say just stick your money in an index fund and forget about it and move on, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's where I ask, like, why do you want to sell or not sell? If it's about the money, another thing to consider is you can find a plan that will work no matter what. What if you could find a plan that would work no matter what? Yeah, yeah. And in this moment, I'm like, this is a story. This is something I've told, told myself. I haven't gone and done the soul searching. I haven't asked myself why. And I've let the story influence my decision without really questioning. And so I think that's like a bit, the big takeaway from here. That really is our theme today. <laughs> Question yourself. Yes. <laughs> Do the math and then decide. Yeah. yeah. Well, use thank real you. data. Use real data for real. <laughs> Um, any parting words or have we said it all? I think we've said it all. Yeah. Said it all. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Elisa, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know everyone will find a lot of gold nuggets out of this podcast. Um, and I hope you have a wonderful day to my listeners as well. Bye guys. Yes, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.